It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Podcast with me, Sam Matterface, Talk Sports Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook and International Football Expert, Kevin Hatchard, all here to look back at the Premier League weekend. On today's pod, rock and stroll, Mick Jagger turns up to watch the Gunners gobble up the points at the cottage. Is that all you've got? Newcastle keep the pressure on the top four as United stumble at home. Liverpool's top four hopes crushed by the Cherries and Chelsea win three in a row, eh? Chelsea win three in a row? It's all on the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. Yeah, and what a weekend it was live on the TalkSport network. And you may not have got your usual bout of analysis this weekend. So we'll try and do our best to make sure uh, that uh, we give it to you here on the Game Day Podcast. In fact, you know, it's one of those weekends where you, like Kevin and I in particular, subscribers to a, a scouting network in which we can watch games and um, review them in double time. So can watch all the Premier League games back. And I did that. I think I watched, managed to watch. I was at the game between Bournemouth and Liverpool. I watched the game between Crystal Palace and Manchester City and then did a double time watch of uh, Leicester versus Chelsea and then the Everton game as well all in one day and by the end of it my head was spinning and then I had to go on air with uh, Jason Cundy and Scott Minto and do game of the day see what we did there um, uh, but Kev those those tools were very useful this weekend even if you have to be a little bit <laughs> careful about watching things in double time yeah, it, it it takes a bit of doing. You get used to it because you, you don't want to go too far because then you miss things. But also, if you've avoided certain results, I still do that. Still got the old school, try, <laughs> try and avoid the result. So, yeah, it, it takes a bit of skill. But, yeah, you can whiz through games a lot more quickly. Consume them. It's the modern way. Yeah, I know Crook wanted to whiz through that Manchester United versus Southampton game really quickly. <laughs> he had it on 10 times the speed. Um, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, Bournemouth, uh, though, had a cracking start to the weekend, beating Liverpool by a goal to nil. They clambered out of the relegation zone. Hey, who would have seen that coming, Crook? <laughs> well, you know, I won't say I told you so, but uh, I thought they were, they were worth it, Bournemouth. I don't think it was a fluke. Obviously, Mo Salah's penalty is, is probably still on its way to the moon, I would imagine. But um, they had opportunities, Bournemouth, actually, to make the win more emphatic. And it must be really frustrating being Kev Hatchard this morning. It's probably frustrating being Kev Hatchard most days. But when, you, when you win 7-0 against your nemesis one week and then you lose 1-0 away from home against a team that most people believe are the worst in the division. I mean, how do you start to how do you start to rationalise that? Liverpool's away form is dreadful, but I'm, I'm pleased for Bournemouth, pleased for Gary O'Neill because I think he's got a lot of unfair scrutiny 
Dongo Watara, by the way, Sam, really like him. Raw, but what an exciting player. Yeah, and he took advantage, didn't he, uh, Kev, of the high line that Liverpool play? Yeah, uh, and they played that perfectly, Sam, because I, I thought Watara, when he signed, we talked about him. You knew he was fun at Lorient, and I think he proved that. Uh, at Bournemouth, not just in this game, but in other games. Uh, just on Crookie's point about being frustrated, obviously looking like this and not making it as a catwalk model is very frustrating. <laughs> but it is what it is. You know, not everybody recognises beauty in the same way. Um, I-, I thought Bournemouth were really smart. I-, I thought they defended diligently, hit on the counter. I don't think it's as bad as some of the performances Liverpool have had. Wolves away, dreadful. Brighton away, dreadful. This wasn't great in many ways, but if Van Dijk's header goes in, it's a completely different game. If Salah's penalty goes in, completely different game. So big setback, but I don't think it quite rings the alarm bells in the way some of the other performances have. Yeah, I thought uh, defensively there was a moment for the goal where uh, Virgil van Dijk seems to sort of slow down and stop as Watara gets to the byline. But they had a couple of warnings before the goal from Philip Billing, didn't they? I think that was the third time that he'd got in behind. Why did they not react, Crook? Well, it's odd uh, because the one thing you know about Bournemouth now with the signings they made in the summer is they do have pace to get in behind. So all it needed really was Jurgen Klopp to ask his defence just to sit a little bit deeper. I was watching the game actually in the Portsmouth press room uh, with Brian Laws, former Sheffield Wednesday manager, and he was really hammering Trent Alexander-Arnold saying, you know, didn't understand why he was keeping such a high line. So, yeah, I think maybe Jurgen Klopp got a little bit schooled by Gary O'Neill. Yeah, I think sometimes uh, we have a go at Trent Alexander-Arnold because a lot happens down his side. But I thought Van Dijk was culpable for a couple of big mistakes at the weekend. I understand that over the last year, since he's come back from injury, he hasn't been the same player, has he, Kev? No, he hasn't. Uh, that's fair to say. And that's partially down to the the Liverpool situation this season because the structure in front of him hasn't been as good. I think most defenders, when they haven't got that protection, aren't going to look quite as good. Fabinho's loss of form, uh, I think, has exposed him a bit more. But I think he's still a great defender. Is he the same defender as he was before the injury? No. OK, um, let's talk a little bit about a feel-good story because we love human stories. We were, we were we were always sort of desperate to put a smile on our faces and Bournemouth's David Brooks coming back into the squad uh, for the first time in 525 days since beating cancer is certainly one of those, isn't it? Brilliant. Brilliant news for him. Brilliant news for Bournemouth. I'm at the belief that had he have been fit when they were relegated from the Premier League last time around, they probably wouldn't have gone down. Mm. I hope he can get back to that form, the type of form that was catching admiring glances from Manchester United. Last time I saw David Brooks uh, was in a hotel in Qatar. Um, I was with Fatboy Slim at the time. He was on his way to watch England against Wales, wearing a Wales shirt with his own name and number uh, on the back. He was so excited to be out there watching his teammates, but obviously gutted that he couldn't play. So I'm delighted for him. And gutted that he bumped into you and Fatboy Slim, I would have thought. <laughs> uh, what there's a joke in there somewhere well we chaperoned him for the day didn't we because uh, a, a friend of mine got a, not, sorry it wasn't Fat Boy Slim wasn't it Pete it Tong was, uh, it was Pete Tong it was Fat Boy Slim who asked us to look sorry, after Pete Tong this is the most Tong. partridge thing ever firstly you tell an anecdote about, about Fat Boy Slim and then it turns out you got it wrong it was Fat Boy Slim's mate we were with Pete Tong and Fat Boy Slim had asked us to look after him for the day because he was doing a performance after the England-Wales game Great. That would have been a great David story. Brooks, though, right? 
<laughs> well, he had his name and number on the back of his shirt, <laughs> yeah. so I couldn't miss it. We're going to have to get Pete Tong, <laughs> an Arsenal jersey, he's an Arsenal fan, uh, with a Tong number one on the back, just, just so that Crook can identify him. Um, there is proof that commentators and football correspondents can only identify people if they're wearing their actual football shirts with their name on the back. <laughs> um, the last time that uh, Bournemouth played uh, um, Liverpool, they lost 9-0 at Anfield. And it's always difficult, isn't it? When you've, when you've had an absolute spanking to come back and try and take on the, the, the same team or uh, you know the, the same club that, that absolutely gave you your worst day. The fact that they stood up to the task and, I don't know, played a, a completely different game this time around, Bournemouth, shows the resilience that they've learned over the course of that six months. I don't know if they've got a chance to stay in the Premier League or not, and whether they do it remains to be seen. But Kevin, I thought there was something about them towards the end of that game when they made changes that didn't mean they sat behind the ball, defended deep and tried to dig out a result. They actually tried to get on the ball more and try and play with the football to dominate a little bit more of possession, to take the pressure off the defence. 100%. Because, especially towards the end of the game, I thought that really stood out because Jurgen Klopp talked about this. You win the ball deep, you take Liverpool all the way back to their penalty area and then it's so hard for Liverpool to build pressure because then they've got to use energy to get all the way back to the Bournemouth box. So mm. they counter-attack really smartly. I think they've made some good signings. I think Watara it was a risk because this is a guy that was in the middle of his breakout season with Lorient. Nobody knew if he was going to be able to translate that form. I'd seen him play in Liga a fair bit, knew he was exciting, knew he was always trying to affect the game. But you can't always bring that to a higher level in the Premier League, but he's done it. And I think this has happened to Liverpool before. I think the season they beat Palace 9-0. They then lost to them in that crazy FA Cup semi-final where I was so angry I hit my head on a radiator, but there we go. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's all coming out this morning. Yeah, yeah. How Um, did you hit your head on a radiator? Pardew, while I was watching at home, Pardew scored. I kind of went back like that in anger and hit my head on a radiator. So it's definitely painful for me as a Liverpool fan. So, yeah, there's no guarantee. Just because you've smacked somebody in one game doesn't mean you'll win the next one. And Bournemouth played really well. Yeah, they really did. Um, Big problems for Liverpool in terms of getting into the top four because they require quite a lot of investment, I think, to tinker with their squad over the summer and get themselves back into a position where they can start competing for the title again, as they have done over the last few years. That investment will need to come from outside. FSG are not going to pump loads more money in in the summer. They're going to wait to see if they can get a minority shareholder to come in and buy uh, a a part of the business and then try and invest that capital. If that doesn't happen before the summer, then it may well stunt Jurgen Klopp's ability to try and rebuild this team on the fly. Uh, That would be a real shame. See what happens. They definitely need Champions League football because that comes with a a load of cash injection as well. Don't be sarcastic. You know, don't you just, why can't you just like enjoy your own team's performance? You don't have to have a go at everybody else <laughs> we haven't got to his team's oh. performance yet <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's still upset about the uh, the red card and we'll talk about that in detail uh, very shortly no one was upset if they were wearing an arsenal shirt this weekend um they're good aren't they kev oh they're amazing sam brilliant to watch and a really outstanding performance uh, i mean they, they just every time you think they're going to fold or they're going to be a bit brittle they come up with something brilliant and this this was outstanding 
Yeah, unstoppable maybe is a good word for them because they've become the first side in English football league history to win five consecutive London derbies away from home. And the neutrals that turned up, Crook, hoping for another bout of late drama, last-minute goals, were sorely disappointed because this was over so quickly. Yeah, it was. And I think Fulham were grateful that Arsenal declared it half time to be honest because it could have been seven or eight they were absolutely sensational in that first half they're on course to rack up 92 points this season they keep picking up points at the current ratio no one's going to stop them Leandro Trossard what a signing he's been first player in Premier League history to get a hat-trick of assists in the first half Martinelli um, was brilliant Saka actually wasn't his best but it didn't matter Ben White really impressive raiding down the right hand side I think they'll win it you know, I think that the, I think they have the momentum. I think Manchester City are grinding out wins, but they look a bit stodgy to me. Arsenal pains me to say it; they're the best team in the country. Yeah, I don't and think that anybody can argue that. Signing is really important, Kev. Right? Because ultimately, initially, it's almost like they stumbled over it. They didn't stumble over it, but it's almost like they did because they wanted to sign Mikhailo Mudrik. That deal was about to happen. Chelsea nipped in and grabbed him at the last minute, and instead of getting a, a very expensive potentially brilliant player for the future, they had to bring in someone who was Premier League ready-made. And he has slotted into the team like Henrik Larsson did for Manchester United all those years ago. Just when you need something that little bit extra to raise everybody's level, someone who's been there and done it in the Premier League and can translate that form immediately into output. Well, he's grasped the opportunity is the first thing because this was a, a step up for him with all due respect to Brighton yeah. and what they've done. Yeah, 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 yeah. This was an opportunity to push for a title and some players would shy away from that. Some players would move towards the light and he's absolutely done that. Thought he was outstanding in this game. I think he has been in other games. Mikel Arteta talked about his calm. Uh, you know, guys who've worked with Guardiola talk about this a lot, this uh, la pausa, this kind of ability to almost stop time, have a look around and see what's there. Players like Gundogan have definitely got it. Those guys who can just almost like the Matrix be slightly out of the rest <laughs> of reality and see what's going on. And, and he's absolutely one of those. And, and visualising Leandro really- Trossard as Keanu Reeves now. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a little short for that, but may- maybe. Um, <laughs> he is a really good sign for that football club off the field. And what I mean by that is that I think on the field, Arteta's taken really big strides in terms of the mentality that's been there for all to see. Off the field, they're a little bit scattergun at times previously. I think now, okay, we didn't get that guy. Who's the next guy? We didn't get that guy. Who's the next guy? The the good clubs have that. They don't panic. They go, okay, this didn't work out the way we wanted. We had a price we would go to. We wouldn't go past that. What do we do now? And I think there are really good signs for Arsenal in that regard on and off the field. Um, what about Fulham, though? Because they've had a little bit of a dip. They look to be fading fast. They had no Palinia uh, at the weekend. And that's always a big problem because he's been such a terrific influence on their midfield. Uh, but Alexander Mitrovic's goals has, has dried up. Um, he's got 11 this season in the Premier League, but none since January. And Crook, I wonder whether or not it's coincided with a, an injury to William. Yeah, possibly, because certainly Mitrovic didn't have much service um, in the game on, on Sunday. No goals in nine now for him, as you mentioned. He's still he's still stuck on 11. He's never scored 12 in a single Premier League season. I'm sure he will get there, but it's taking its time. 
Paulinho was a massive miss. And actually, this plays into Adrian Durham's theory that he got battered for by Arsenal fans, that they have had a lot of luck this season in terms of coming up against teams when key players are missing, like Casemiro was uh, for that game at the Emirates and, and Paulinho, the latest. I just fear for Fulham now. They've got enough points for safety. They're probably not going to qualify for Europe because they're better teams in and around them. I wonder if we might have the flip-flops and the, and the beach towels out there shortly oh, when it comes to Fulham. Over. I tell you what, though, it is a great place to go celeb spotting, isn't it? Fashionable Fulham. Um, Brian Cox from Succession was at the game on Sunday. Uh, the commentary position is behind where Hugh Grant has a season ticket. So you see him there a lot. Mick Jagger had come across town to watch Arsenal. I mean, I know some of the tickets are so expensive at, F- at Fulham now that only celebs can afford them. Uh, but it is a fashionable place to go, Kev. Did Jagger tell you that he passed on any of his dance moves to Crookie or maybe he took them from Crookie? I'm sure I've seen, you know, something similar there. No, I've been jigging around the living room this morning at Cheltenham Eve. Yeah, I haven't headbutted any lampshades today, so that's that's progress. (laughs) Still, Watara has it, takes it wide, down the right-hand side, comes to Billy, joining late, and he pops it in, and Bournemouth have the lead. Liverpool's record Premier League goal scorer steps up, left-footed, and sends it over the bar. scorers Harry Kane gives Spurs the lead finally they break the deadlock and makes the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium a happier place to be and Erling Haaland has the ball in his hands one two three four steps back waits to the end of his run steps up oh and he sends the keeper the wrong way and it keeps the pressure on Arsenal Fulham nil Arsenal 3, Odegaard with a 10th Premier League goal of the season. Again, Trossard with the assist, his third of the game. Game over, three goals, three points, and Chelsea will leave the East Midlands with a third victory. Adrian, there are chants to your right-hand side of we want Rodgers out. The video was shown about four or five times, and he went straight back onto the field to give Casemiro a straight red card. Finished at Old Trafford, Manchester United nil, Southampton nil. Just 35 seconds on the clock, and Everton lead Brentford. Dwight McNeil with the goal. Jack Harrison just unleashed one right in the top corner. Leads to Brighton 2. What a goal. And there was a ripple of booze here at full time. West Ham 1, Aston Villa 1. Leicester 1, Chelsea 3. And did we get a glimpse into the future at the King Power Stadium? Brendan Rodgers is going to be the next Chelsea manager? <laughs> no, actually, there was a bit of pre-match entertainment and Pete Chong was DJing. Or was it Fatboy Slim? Um, no, I meant that Chelsea played Joe a Wiley. slightly different uh, system where they had Mudrick at the top of the formation and Kai Havertz uh, just behind him, João Felix, just off him. Um, and I just thought that their attacking play was really slick and they could have had more goals if it hadn't been for a couple of offside decisions. Followed on, I thought, from what was a tremendous performance against Dortmund. Um, I thought Havertz, Joao Felix were outstanding. The way Mm. Havertz protected the ball, brought others into play. They posed a threat in behind. And I think they carried on that attacking form against Leicester. It wasn't a perfect performance. Leicester could have equalised. Dewsbury Hall should have equalised. Mm. That was a great opportunity that he made a mess of. Well, there was but a it, wobble actually at the end of the second, at the first half, where actually Chelsea could have lost control of the game. Yeah. And Leicester looked the most likeliest to score. And then Daniel Armati decided to physically assault Kai Havertz with his studs and make him look as if he'd been slashed by Wolverine over his chest. And the referee went, play on. 
Yeah, there was there was a lot of that. I mean, they did they chose the aggressive path. They chose violence, mm. Leicester City, and it kind of uh, worked out for them in some ways. But look, I I think something's happened with Chelsea in the last couple of games, and I think part of it is due to some of the injuries clearing up. Um, obviously, Chilwell and James didn't play in this one, but did play in midweek. That makes it look far more like possible because if you've got two genuine wing backs who can play that role. That's the key to everything he does, really. He wants those two deeper inside forwards. So that's Kai Havertz and Joao Felix, who play that role really, really well between the lines. And Mudrick's interesting because he can really stretch a team. He's got explosive pace. He's quite smart in the way that he moves. And he's young enough and untested enough to actually not be wedded to one position. I think he could retrain and play in a central role. So Mm. I think, look, early days, but promising signs in the last couple of games for Chelsea. Mudrick's only played 50 games of uh, league football in his entire life. So the idea uh, that he is the finished article is completely wrong, which is why a lot of people sort of raised eyebrows over the fact that he cost 88 million quid. Uh, Hold on, that was uh, Pete Tong. Upset about the fact that he's been compared to Fat Boy Slim. Um, l- l- quick word on um, uh, going back to your old club and scoring goals, right? Because a lot of people don't like the fact that when you are an ex-player, you go uh, back to where you made your name, you score a goal, and then you s- you don't celebrate. Well, completely against convention, Ben Chilwell refused to get involved in this he actually came out afterwards and said it was one of the most enjoyable goals i've ever <laughs> scored <laughs> i love that i love I it too love that. it was getting pelters the whole game so why shouldn't he enjoy it and what i really enjoyed actually against dortmund was that he was like some kind of old school Serie A defender like catanaccio he was like roughing people up he was winding <laughs> them up he was drawing them into challenges and having a bit I, I love all that i think that's that's great especially if it affects the game and he's putting off opponents so i've got a lot of time for that yeah crook you'd be happy with this surely yeah, I mean, I think it's a disgrace that Leicester fans are on his back in the first place. This is someone who did a good job for their football club. They made huge money when they sold him. I don't get it. You don't have to boo every ex-player uh, that returns. Actually, we were speaking to Les Ferdinand this week for a Newcastle book that I'm working on. He was saying that what he loves most about his career is that when he goes back to QPR and when he went back to Newcastle, even though he was only there two years, both sets of supporters ended those games by singing his name. And he said, I must have done something right. I just think that tells us those two fan bases are quite classy and Leicester's own. Also tells you it was a long time ago because it's completely different now. Basically, if you played for a club and then you go back in a different shirt, you just get you just get booed. That's just the way uh, things <laughs> have sort of changed over the course of the last few years. It lacks a little bit of nuance really, doesn't it? Because there are some players that have done well for you and then have just, for whatever reason, moved on. It's very unlikely now that someone comes back and they get a great reception. It's, it happens, does happen, of course it does, but not as often as the the boos and the jeers. Um, There was a lot of boos and jeers when it comes to Leicester City at the moment because they're not playing particularly well and they seem to crumble really quickly. I watched them against Manchester United at Old Trafford and they were all right in that game for large parts. A bit like this match, really. They were in the match and then all of a sudden they conceded a second goal and crumbled and the same thing happened here. Um, They are looking over their shoulder now, aren't they? Because they're, they're third from bottom, level on points with Bournemouth and James Madison's assertion last week that they weren't in a relegation battle looks increasingly more foolish doesn't it crook 
And dangerous. You know, if that's what the, the Leicester players are thinking in the dressing room, then they are bang in trouble. And I get the impression that maybe the owners are of that thinking as well. That's why there's no immediate desire to replace Brendan Rodgers. I mean, I think it's too late for that at this stage of the season. Who do you get in that gives you more of a chance of staying up than Brendan Rodgers? But if those players seriously believe they're too good to go down, that could well be their undoing because there's teams down at the bottom of the league, and we've mentioned Bournemouth already, that are showing a lot more heart, desire and commitment than this group of Leicester City players. And Newcastle 2, Wolverhampton Wanderers 1. So you want to talk about XG now, Crook? <laughs> I do, actually, yeah. You made me a few quid at the weekend. Your Alexander Isak stat, I uh, had that in my head, backed him for the first goal, backed him to score any time. He duly obliged. And I-, I thought this was the game where Newcastle would get back to winning ways, to be honest, because Wolves... Wolves just lack a goal threat, don't they? And that's why they're going to be right in the mix uh, until the end of the season. And uh, who knows? This could well be a turning point for Newcastle. They weren't brilliant. I thought Nick Pope at times uh, really was a bit of a liability and probably should have been sent off. I think he was partly culpable for the goal. They conceded he doesn't need to be rushing off his line as he did. But in the end, they've got the job done. It could be quite a big win. Turning point. Turning point. They've literally had a couple of bad weeks. That's it. They've been fantastic all season. What are you talking about? Barely won a game this year. So what? They've been playing brilliantly over the course of a season. They've had a couple of weeks where it's been a bit stodgy. They've had some tough games. Now, they're still well within their rights to believe they can get into the top four. Yeah, I don't disagree. But they needed they needed a win and they needed some semblance of a performance. I think they got it um, the weekend. I've been banging the drum for Alexander Isaac the last couple of weeks, Kev. I never understood why he didn't start the cup final. He's a good purchase. He's 23. He's difficult to handle and he's got a bright future because he can do sort of two roles, can't he? He can play as a striker. He can play off of the side. But he can also play in that sort of number 10 position. He creates a lot. Yeah, really smart guy. Uh, I, th- I think the way he moves on and off the ball, very, very intelligent. Took his goal well, just a little mm. push of the defender, made the space, great header. And I think he needs to play. I- I've always felt he's a rhythm player. I think when he's had long runs of games for Real Sociedad, he's looked good. This is why it didn't work for him at Dortmund, because he was never really trusted to be a first team player he was very young to be fair as well and so he couldn't quite get that rhythm but I think if he plays regularly for Newcastle between now and the end of the season we've got every chance of seeing why they paid that amount of money for him I, I thought the Pope thing was was really touch and go I don't think Jimenez helps himself because he's anticipating the contact I think if he just tries to stay on his feet maybe Maybe he just runs through and scores. So, mm. but how the VAR doesn't then recommend another look at it, really quite surprised when you consider the distance the, the referee is from the incident to not say, do you know what? Actually, go and have another look and see how much contact you think there is. I'm a bit is this because actually, that. if you do that, the uh, the feeling is now that if you even if you recommend a review, then it's it's almost certain that you have to give the decision that the referee didn't on but field. Refs have, have to be stronger that than that, Sam. Refs have got to be stronger. Ref, if, if, you know, you see this in other countries where a ref will have a look at the monitor. I don't know, like opposition fans will always get that sinking feeling maybe and think, oh no, you know, he's going to overturn the decision or whatever. But I have seen refs go, no, actually I was right first time. But it doesn't I, happen I just, very often in this country, does it? I think it's happened like twice, I think. But it should. It should because refs should be able to say, right, I've still got primacy. I'm still the boss here. I'm going to have another look at this. Oh no, I was right. But if they genuinely do think they were wrong, 
then they should have the you know the gumption to actually change it as well. So I, I think in an incident like that, looking at how far the ref was from the from the play, given how important it is for the game, just go and have another look. It's not um, hard. The screen's there. Just go and do it. Mickey Almiron, yeah, the screen's so good, it even adjusts itself up to your eyeline height. It's brilliant. You know, it's literally there for you. Uh, Mickey Almiron uh, came off the bench to save the day, scoring the winner with 12 minutes left. I love this kid, right? I know he's not, he's not a kid, actually. He's nearly 30, but he looks like he's about 15. And yeah. he, um, <laughs> he, he, he's got sort of like that, that sort of kid joy in his face every time something great happens. And he's just been, I think he's had a great season. I know he's had ups and downs and he hasn't, he's gone through periods where he hasn't scored too many goals and he's gone through games where he's scored a glut of goals in succession. But he is, I'm so pleased it's come good for him because there's not many players that come from Atlanta United in the United States of America from the MLS into the the Premier League and become a massive success. And it's almost a little bit like that. Do you remember that film that they did about a Latino kid who comes over to the Premier League and makes it big at Newcastle United and becomes a world superstar? Maybe that is Miggy Almiron living out that film. That was the film that Darren Ambrose was supposed to be starring in and then they cut his scene. He took his <laughs> wife and kids to the cinema to watch it and he never appeared. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Red alert. Manchester United's best summer signing is going to miss four games. How much of a blow is that, Crook? I think it's a blow when it comes to the FA Cup game uh, against Fulham in, in a week's time. I think the Premier League games that we've got should be winnable with or without him, but it's a blow because the squad isn't very deep. I, I like Sabitzer, but I think he's still getting to grips with the pace of the Premier League, having not played much in Germany. Listen, I, I tried to defend the red card on Sunday night. I was I was doing the Arsenal game with Chris Perry and, and we had the United game on our monitor and, and we both felt that it was a little bit harsh. Oh, By goes. the letter of the law, Sam, you're, you'll tell you're, you're me that back, it was a red card. Now, aren't you? You're going to backtrack. No, no, me because it's not a red what, card on Twitter, on uh, text yesterday and saying, no, no, not for me, not for me, not for me. You're now going to say that you no, think it's, it's, it was. No, it's, 
It's still not for me. And I think you, you can judge it by the Southampton players' reaction. They were almost apologising as Casemiro was leaving the pitch. He was absolutely devastated. Mm. But what frustrated Eric Ten Hag, and, and he's right, is that Andre Mariner was the VAR official. He was the on-pitch referee the day before when he didn't send off, um, I think it was Papi Mendy, wasn't it, for the challenge on Jao Felix. And then 24 hours later, he recommends a red card for arguably and not a severe challenge. So I, I'm fully on board with Eric Ten Hag. I think Andre Mariner is a poor official. I don't think Anthony Taylor is great either. Um, and uh, yeah, I think Casemiro has been the victim of that. Yeah, it's all, it's, all, it's all a lot of bluster, but it was a red card, right, Kev? Yes, <laughs> it just is. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can say he was upset and he was distraught and the Southampton players gave him a cuddle, but ultimately it was a red card because he's left the ground with two feet. He's not in control of his body. He does get the ball, but that hasn't been a defence in law for 15 years. He follows through over the top of the ball with his studs showing. And as a result of that, in the modern game, whether you like it or not, it is the law that that is going to be a red card. There's no... There's no sort of debate about this, and any appeal will be spurious, right, Kev? Yeah, because he look, he he's experienced enough to know that you can't go in like that. If, well, if you do go in like that, you're taking a risk. You know, this isn't some guy who's just wandered in and has barely played. He's played hundreds of games. He knows how to walk that disciplinary tightrope. I love the idea that Ten Hag said, well, he's played loads of games at the highest level. It doesn't go off. <laughs> well, mm, he's taught his way out of a fair few down the years. So let's not make out that Casemiro is some kind of saint who's being demonised in the Premier League. But look, it, it's a poor challenge. It's one of those it can be or it can't be, but I can see why it's red. I can absolutely see why it's red. And and he has to go. And, and the other one was red as well, the one before um, against Palace. So, you know, he's got to take his medicine. Yeah, it's- Was it any worse than the Sabitzer challenge that you may remember? I think it was against Newcastle, was it? Or oh, it was the game before the cup final that wasn't a red card. I think Sabitzer's that tackle should, is arguably worse than that. Well. Yeah, I think he should have gone for that as well. Too. But, I mean, yeah. you know, you can go back through loads of games and go, oh, that wasn't a red. That should Fabinho down at Brighton. 100%. 100% Fabinho should have gone for that. And I think even he, he made the challenge and then went, oh, yeah. that was really bad. And, and didn't the referee get in trouble <laughs> for that as a result? No, but there was no red card, was there? No, no, but and I, think there the was referee, I think the referee was, I think, and I'm maybe talking out of school here, but I think something happened with the referee where um, because they he missed that challenge, they think they, I don't know if they took him off a game or something. Oh, got dropped for, three, yeah, right. for the next yeah. weekend. I think that might be true, actually, yeah. yeah I think that um, might be it. It was a really egregious error, I mm. thought, because even for being... Can we send Andre Mariner to the National League then? Stop having a good picking on Andre Mariner. I mean, okay, so he did have a he had a bad game on Saturday. I mean, it was absolutely dreadful. We should have sent off two players. He ended up only sending off one. Um, but we'll come back to him in just a second. Uh, but let's just talk quickly about Manchester United and, and their approach yesterday as well, Crook. Because again, we talk about the great tactical tweaks that Eric Ten Hag does, and he, he maybe overcomplicated a little bit with a, a front five at the start of the game yesterday and playing Jaden Sancho in a different position. Yeah, I think he overcomplicated it. Certainly when he made the change, I understand why McTominay came on, but surely the sensible call there would have been to put Rashford through the middle and, and Sancho back out wide. Sancho, for me, looked a bit like a fish out of water in that false number nine position. I, I wasn't devastated by the draw. You know, when you play with 10 men, you're probably not at your best against a side who are showing a little bit of fight and determination, just don't get beat. And, and what they didn't do, United, was crumble, whereas they did the previous week. So you're not going to get too much of a rise out of me in terms of the overall result. I thought it was a good game, actually. 
Two big games this week. They've got uh, Real Betis live on Talk Sport 2 on Thursday night and the second leg with quite a healthy advantage from the first leg. And then they've got the uh, game with Fulham, which is live on Talk Sport on Sunday at 4.30 in the FA Cup quarterfinal as they look to continue their charge uh, for another two trophies to add to their League Cup. Uh, Crystal Palace nil Manchester City 1 was Saturday night's offering. A late penalty from Haaland gave City more vital points, putting the pressure on league leaders Arsenal prior to the game. Arsenal responded really well to that. Uh, but actually, it took a penalty for them to make the breakthrough against Crystal Palace. And they are playing a slightly different game now, aren't they, uh, Alex? They're not, they're not the same sort of ticky-tacker, intricate, sharp, interchange side from years gone by that they're a little bit more rugged determined and yes there's a lot of creativity but it doesn't look as beautiful as it used to it's attritional um you know they're grinding out results which some will say at this stage of the season is what champions elect have to do but at the moment they don't necessarily look like sweeping teams aside in the way that arsenal did in the first half at craven cottage but Clean sheet. I think Nathan Ake is emerging as one of their unsung heroes of the season. He's had a terrific campaign. I'm delighted uh, about that because he is a he's a good pro and he's a tremendous player as well. <laughs> Ridiculous challenge from Elisa. Yeah, what are you doing steaming in there he's when the pressure was already on? Steaming. He tickled Patrick his Vieira. It was clumsy. Yeah, but nah, he's panicking, right? He's panicking because none of them have switched on at the corner. So yeah, he's they all like, ah, off. I've got to get there. And he's a, you know, he's not a defender, is he? So he's gone in. Gundogan's very smart. He's just sucking him in, has made the most of the contact. But that all comes because they're fast asleep mm. at a set piece. That's probably because they've been running around like maniacs trying to close City down the whole game. It's, you know, 12 minutes to go and they're tired and they've just switched off. But you can't do that. That's that's the difference. Yeah, I wonder whether or not one of the reasons why Manchester City are a little bit more attritional is because so many teams are doing that, harassing them man for man all over the pitch and trying yeah. to stop uh, them from from playing. Uh, you mentioned about uh, them falling asleep from the corner. Um, most of the people that go to Selhurst Park on a regular basis have been falling asleep <laughs> for quite some while uh, because this is the third game in a row that Crystal Palace haven't registered a shot on target in the Premier League. Um, how on earth does that happen when you've got Elise, Eze, Edouard, Zaha all in your team? I think there's been a little bit of, not panic's the wrong word, but I think he, he tried to open it up. He tried to be more expansive earlier in the season. And I think he was worried that they were losing games, shipping goals. And he thought, right, I've got to put a layer of, you know, defensive minded behavior on this. The problem he's got is that it's still too reliant on Zaha, I think. And, you know, you look at the body of work, I think he got a free pass to some extent last season because it wasn't Roy Hodgson. And I, I'm a huge Hodgson fan in many, many ways, but the style of football was not always that attractive. I think because they, he changed the style and it looked a bit more um, pleasing on the eye, I think he got a pass. And they obviously got to a cup semi-final and they did fine. This season... It's not that great to watch at times. <laughs> they haven't had a shot on target in three games. Yeah. And you just think, well, actually, what are we doing here? You look at the quality of the squad. That's a, probably a bottom six Premier League yes. squad. And I think that's probably underestimated, right? That he, yeah. He's probably got more out of the squad last year than the squad actually merited. Yeah. And he turned over a lot of players during that first summer. Yeah, it's, you know, you're asking for miracles to go much higher than that. I know teams look at Brightford, Brighton and Brentford, but they have, they have better squads. 
I think, mm. by quite some way, I think. And so there's an element there. I, I think what to watch for is what happened at Nice. He started ever so well at Nice and it, went, it was going really, really well. And then there just came a point where he became more critical of his players in the media. He started changing a lot of things. Uh, and in the end, you never really knew what formation might be, what the style might be. And it just all got a bit haphazard. And he became quite... I think not angered by it, but unnerved by the whole situation. He's a bit snappier. And so that's one to watch for, I think. A comfortable win uh, for Spurs at home to Nottingham Forest live on TalkSport 2 uh, on Saturday. 3-1 victors with two goals from Harry Kane. He has scored or assisted 45% of all of their league goals this season. Crook, what are they going to do when he leaves in the summer? <laughs> probably become a mid-table team if that does happen I mean he's he's absolutely crucial isn't he um, and, and I feel for him because I think he's been so loyal to Tottenham he's given them the best years of his career and as a football club I don't think they've given him enough back um, you know in terms of putting world-class players to play alongside him in terms of actually you know, giving him the ability to compete for the type of trophies that he deserves. And I think it'd be a shame if we look back on Harry Kane's career and judge him on what he what he's won or more pertinently what he hasn't won instead of the goals that he's scored and the performances that he produces. I think he's absolutely sensational. Crook, is that a sort of symbol of exactly what Tottenham Hotspur are? They are a football club that just don't give anyone enough. They don't give their fans enough. Yeah. They don't give their managers enough. They don't give their star players enough enough and that's why in the end they don't deliver enough yeah absolutely you know and, and uh, what they have delivered is a world class facility you know the stadium is absolutely magnificent but I think Jamie O'Hara uh, hit the nail on the head a few weeks ago it might have been Gabby Bonlahor actually uh, when he said the best thing about Tottenham this season is a Beyonce concert the best thing about Tottenham is the fact they host NFL games because as a football team they are falling well short and I can understand why their fans and, and Harry Kane himself are frustrated. Is that why Antonio Conte is throwing his toys out of the pram? I mean, if you actually speak to Antonio Conte, he'll say, no, no, he's absolutely happy. And then he'll tell you how bad everything is. He, he, he sort of speaks with forked tongue. Uh, but um, he's not going to stay in the summer, right, Kev? No, I don't think so. Uh, and I think he's... The, but this is the danger, I think, for him. He will always say, well, look, I took this struggling team. I got them into the Champions League. We're in the mix for the top four again. He acts as if they've spent six pounds in the last three years. It's just not true. <laughs> it just isn't true. Like, he got Porro, and then he's he doesn't trust Porro immediately, so he doesn't play in every game. Um, they signed Richarlison. He, he hasn't done particularly well that's true and, they never uh, use him yeah, he's on exactly. the bench all the time exactly so he got Richarlison he wanted him he got Poro he wanted him uh, Bentancourt came in and has done well but he's injured obviously so can't help Kulisevsky him. brought him in as well exactly who Conte wanted identical yeah. Conte player works incredibly hard does his job knows exactly what he's supposed to do but some of this comes down to Conte I was at Tottenham for talk sport for that Milan game man alive they were bad Wow. And the thing was, a lot of the fans you listen to before the game, 
they knew this was coming. They knew it was going to be stay in the game and try and hit later. What it needed against a Milan team that doesn't have a huge amount of experience in, at Champions League level as you go out and blitz them from the start. Exactly. Go for them. Make it uncomfortable. You had Malik mm. Chow, who I watched struggling for Schalke at the start of the season. Mm. Just get it. He's been get brilliant for Milan, it. to be fair. He has, but you have to put him under pressure at that level. They made him Tamori. Uh, and Kalulu, who I like very much, the, the latter two, but made them look like Costa Curta, Baresi and Maldini. They did, but th- this is a th- th- you've got to remember that over the course of the previous three or five games leading into that, they'd done very well as a trio. Since Pioli changed to a back three, they ended up keeping Atalanta out. Yeah. And Atalanta had gone something like 300 games with um, where they've scored a load of goals and had a shot on target in every single match. And they didn't have a shot on target against Milan in that game. That was the first time that happened. Yeah, it's a farmer's league. Syria. No, it's rubbish. The point Sam makes is a very, very good one, right? They, that they had in the build up to the game been much better. They'd lost to Fiorentina at, at the previous game, yep. but they've been much better. However, you can still put them under a huge amount of pressure and you can be proactive. Totally agree. And it was such an anemic performance. And I know timid. he's gone, oh, well, I Great brought word. on Davinson Sanchez to give us some structure. Took off Kulusevsky. It's one of the only uh-huh. players they've got who, like that, can just change a game with just a moment of brilliance. And he took him off. Booze of disgruntled East Midlanders. Four straight league defeats and out of the FA Cup as well. There are chants of we want Rogers out. As for Crystal Palace, they need to be really worried now about this relegation battle. I think there's an underlying issue here with Patrick Vieira that he does need to be careful. There's the full-time whistle. Bournemouth have done it. Bournemouth won. Liverpool nil. Leeds relegated. I think they're going down. I think it's an opportunity missed here by the away side today. Considering Manchester United, we're down to 10 men from 32 minutes. Manchester United nil, Southampton nil. Are you? And he's saved by Forster. And that just about sums up Nottingham Forest afternoon. They've been really poor. I think they've contributed to their own downfall here, Forest. And there was a ripple of booze here at full time. I sense that the home fans feel like there was a missed opportunity. Full time here, West Ham 1, Aston Villa 1. Everton 1, Brentford nil. An absolutely massive victory for the Blues that will leave them out of the relegation. I can't work out who's going down. I mean, at the minute, I've got six teams going down. Yeah. All right, can yeah. six get relegated? Uh, Everton won, Brentford nil. Uh, Brentford 12 unbeaten going into this game, uh, but this game was uh, won by a goal scored in the first minute. Um, Kevin, and um, it's a massive, massive win for the gritty and determined outfit that uh, Sean Dyche has managed to fashion. Dwight McNeil, stunner. Who saw that coming? Uh, I mean, <laughs> well, Sean Dyche, because he's put him in a team ever since yeah. he got there, right? He wasn't playing very well under the previous manager, and he's hardly been used maybe as much as many people thought he might be when they brought him in for Burnley in the summer. And actually, even um, Sean Dyche said, Look, the reason that I selected him ahead of Damari Gray was not really to do with four more performance, it was because. He knows me and I know him yeah. and he knows what I want. And from set pieces, et cetera, et cetera, he knows what I'm going to ask him to do. But it's end product. That's been the thing that's been lacking. We know he's, we know he can take people on, but, you know, the, the quality of crossing, the quality at the top end has not been great. But that shows what he can do. It was a brilliant goal. Absolutely stunning mm. goal. Gives you the perfect start. They rode their luck a little bit at times. Jordan Pickford made an absolutely outstanding save. There was a great goal line clearance as well. And we said when Dyche came in, we felt that that was going to be 
really, really important for them. And I think they're already looking like a Daesh team. They've got that resilience. They've got that ability to grind out a win. And against a very, very good Brentford team, they were able to do that. So this relegation battle is terrific because you've suddenly yeah. got teams all over the place picking up points. And you're thinking, you know, you look at a team like Palace, who we just talked about, they're Nine teams right in it. in it now. They are yeah. right in it now. Elsewhere leads to Brighton 2 and West Ham 1, Aston Villa 1. Um, we we mentioned Chelsea against uh, Leicester. We did that a little bit uh, earlier on, didn't we? But we should talk about the... Uh, did, we talk, did we talk about Andre Mariner in the end? Because you kept talking about him, Crook. Did we, did we mention that? <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, I'm not giving Andre Mariner any more airtime. OK, well, but let's, let's just go over the two, the three decisions where he, he got wrong. He should have sent off um, Ricardo Pereira after 90 seconds for a foul on Jao Felix. He then should have sent off uh, Daniel Marti for a, a, a sort of kung fu kick on uh, Kai Havertz, which left Kai Havertz with stud marks across his chest. Not stud marks, but like grazes across his chest where the studs had been. If that's not a dangerous player, I don't know what is. Um, should have been sent off for that. And then when Vout Fass committed a second bookable offence, he seemed to miss it until someone said into his ear, uh, you're probably going to have to deal with that, Andre. And then he went, oh, oh, yes. And then turned around and, and sent him Such off. Such a bad referee, honestly. <laughs> well, we do need Poor to be nice him. to referees. They're very difficult We must job. be nice to referees. We are, listen, we are nice to referees. In fact, you're talking to the person who's probably the nicest to referees. And I get a lot of stick for being nice to referees from Adrian Durham, who says uh, I'm a, what, a referee's best friend. No, you can't um, do it. But when they are also making silly mistakes, you have to highlight them. Yes. It's about being balanced, isn't it? It's not yeah. about not having to go at a referee or having to go at a referee. It's about doing it at the right times when it's when criticising when it's fair rather than just picking on them for, for picking on them's sake. Otherwise, we won't have any left. <laughs> yeah. That's and and Crook will yeah, have to my, take my question is, and, and you'll be able to tell us about this, Sam, I, I think they have their sort of post-weekend debrief on a Monday. Yeah. Right? Should that have not happened on Saturday night and therefore Andre Mariner shouldn't have been in a position where he was, you know, in, in a position it's of very difficult such importance in the VAR room 24 hours later? No, because if on a Saturday night, right, that happens, they've got to then make a decision to get rid of someone then put somebody else in. It's not ideal, especially... And, and all this idea that referees don't have consequences, they got rid of Lee Mason after he made a horrendous error. So th there are consequences now. Howard Webb's getting to grips with the regime. It's not going to be perfect. Refereeing is never going to be perfect because guess what? They're human beings and sometimes they're going to make mistakes. But, you know, okay, fair enough. That's what happens. You just have to get on with it. Do you know sometimes what would change it? Favor. Do you know what would make a massive difference? What they do, I what? know I always rave about Germany. I, I know this. I'm aware of this. Do you? However. <laughs> yeah, I don't, you never really say anything about it. The one thing I do like about referees is they come out and they say, look, this is why I made the decision. Sometimes they'll go, I have to hold my hands up. I got this totally wrong. Uh, and I'm, I'm really sorry about that. This is why I got it wrong. You know, and, and they are accountable publicly. Yeah. And I, I do think it does soothe some of these issues because you get refs who come out and explain it. Sometimes the head of referees will say, look, we got that one wrong. The VAR should have had another look at this or whatever. And there is a bit more public accountability. And yeah, a bit more public accountability is always good. And in the MLS, Howard Webb sort of employed this strategy where someone would go on Twitter every weekend and go through sort of like the VAR explanations just to explain why the AE officials came to the decision that they did after looking at a video review, for example. Um, I must admit, I've got to give them a little bit of credit here because the other thing that the PGMOL have done over the course of the last few months since Howard's been in charge is they've called a meeting with us 
every month or so to go back and have a look at decisions and explain to us why they've made them, what was right about them, what was wrong about them. And if you've been in those briefings, Crook, I don't know if you bothered to turn up for those. Uh, but Ken, no, I have actually. It's, it's interesting the, because you get to hear the, you know, the what's VAR actually been said in the VAR room. Yeah. Yeah, it is actually quite a fascinating thing. So, you know, I think that's and that's better for us as well because we get to understand more of the decision-making process. So I do think there's a little extra bit of transparency creeping in. Not perfect yet. Eventually, we'll get to the stage where we'll be able to hear all the time what they're saying. So, you know, but we, you know we're making baby steps towards that. It will get better. Right, let's move on. We're back later in the week when we'll look ahead to all the weekend's FA Cup and Premier League action. Remember, there's live commentaries uh, from the Champions League, the Europa League, League and the Premier League this week on the TalkSport Network. Download our app, you'll be able to access absolutely everything. Uh, that's it from the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. We'll see you uh, later in the week. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff. Shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.